more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 7. Lies. The beginnings and ends of shadow lie between the light and darkness, and may be infinitely diminished and infinitely increased. Shadow is the means by which bodies display their form. The forms of bodies could not be understood in detail but for shadow. Leonardo da Vinci. It kills me not to know this, but I've all but just forgotten what the color of her eyes were, and her scars or how she got them. As the telling signs of age rain down, a single tear is dropping through the valleys of an aging face that this world has In December 2009, still in Panama City, a German shepherd walked into the glare of my headlights. He stood still and unsure as his ears flopped. He was young, maybe six months old or so, still a puppy, but approaching full height. Despite his filth and emaciated figure, he was handsome. Willoway, at the time with my parents in Colorado, was a wolf hybrid mixed with shepherd, so I held a special place in my heart for them. I parked the car in the middle of the road half a block from my driveway. The pup inspected the car with suspicion. I grabbed a fry from my fast food scraps and waved it toward him. His nose caught the scent, but his better judgment kept him at a distance. I flicked the fry to the ground at his feet. The starving kid gobbled the snack. I pulled forward about twenty feet and repeated. He understood the game, but clung to skepticism. Rather than continue this another twenty times, I drove to my house and returned on foot. I called out to him and waved the McDonald's bag into the sea breeze. The shepherd picked the game back up. I led him to the front door where he locked his brakes. He wanted no part of the doorway. I kept the front door open while opening the French doors leading to the backyard. It was a straight shot line of sight. After several treats, I turned around and walked out to the patio out of the dog's view, and sat on the tile floor in the Florida room. A half hour passed, and the pup peeked his muzzle through the French doors. He looked to his right and saw me seated against the wall. He flinched and ducked back inside. I gave no response. Minutes later, his head leaned back out the door, this time looking nowhere but at me. The shepherd questioned everything around him, feared everything around him, and doubted the entire world. I only smiled at him. Over an hour passed. My phone buzzed with a text. It was Missy. I didn't bother to read it. The dog, yielding to hunger over fear, inched closer. Another hour rolled by. Closer and closer he came. I could smell his wretchedness, 
but understood the expression in his eyes. They were softer than they had been. He was tired. I extended a treat. He leaned in at a snail's pace, eyes shifting between me and his surroundings. He plucked the treat from my hand and, once clear, inhaled it. I repeated. He was faster this time, more certain. A third time I presented a bite. As I broke off a fourth treat, the puppy circled around to my right, opposite the doorway, and laid down at my side. His bony ribcage pressed against me. I did away with hesitation and fed the next piece to him while offering an overdue belly rub. The puppy chose to take up residence at the house. But he was a vagabond survivor. When I was home, he was affectionate and trusting. While I was not home, his fearful mind inspired Houdini-esque escapes from the backyard. His fear kept him alive. His suspicion kept his nervous feet moving. I struggled to keep him there for the next several days while I tried to track down a previous owner or potential new one. I knew I couldn't keep him. I finally found a good lasting home for him and bid him adieu. I said thank you when I said goodbye. To be trusted by the untrusting, loved by the unloved, humbles a heart. But nothing speaks with more brutality than honesty. Something resides in animals that grants, free of charge, a sliver of understanding about ourselves. They offer a judgment-free mirror that displays what inside us is always lovable and always redeemable, even at our worst. The night I met the young shepherd, I didn't check Missy's message. I didn't need to. I already knew what it said, or at least the emotion behind it. We fought earlier that night, which sent me home just in time to meet this pup. You're a lying asshole is what the text read. She was right. There is no reconciliation that will put me in my place and there is no time like a present to drink these drained seconds. Never again! You just can't let it go, can you? I screamed at her in my mind before I spoke. I'm sorry, I should have said- You're fucking right, you should have. I don't care what bullshit lie you have to excuse it. Give me your phone. I want your passwords and access to everything. Your, your email, your messages, your Facebook, everything. I asked if you had talked to anyone today, and as an oversight, it just slipped your mind that Becky messaged you? Look, I, I didn't even reply. I ignored the message. Missy read the message. Let me tell you, put on like crushing weights, but no man does it ever wait. Like memories of dying days that deafen us like hurricanes. Bathed in flames, we held the ground, uncurled the fingers in your hand. Pressed into the face like sand, now do you understand? So tell me now. She's coming here? What? She's stationed here. I suppose next you're going to tell me it has nothing to do with you. That it's just a crazy coincidence. Bullshit. 
Did you two plan this? This is what you want, Tim? It's not like that. She got assigned. Yeah, it is a coincidence. But you don't live in her head the way she lives in yours. Bullshit. Lies. You're lying. You probably wanted her to come here. Probably can't wait till she gets here. I'm not lying. Look at the message. I don't believe you. You're a liar. You always lie. Then why are you here? Because you claim you're a good man. And led me to believe that in some dumb place in my mind that there's a good man in there somewhere. Just as soon as he figures out how to stop cheating. What are you talking about? How have I cheated? Texting your ex? Texting other women? Lying about it? Are we going to play the semantics game? The intent is there, and you're guilty as fuck. I don't hate you. The redundant argument was like being strapped into a roller coaster over and over. The first time it electrifies all your senses and emotions, but after so many consecutive rides, the absence of excitement just turns to nausea. But a creative mind can weave new lies and new excuses to somehow make it okay. Weave enough lies and enough excuses, and you make a rug big enough to hide the underlying issues. Beneath mine, I had ghosts who reminded me every time Missy screamed that she was right. I texted with exes and women lonelier than me. At times, I told Missy I was out with friends when in fact, I was actually just home alone. On one hand, I cried out for companionship, connection, and validation. And on the other hand, hermited myself away. I wanted to be with Missy, but at times... It felt like I only wanted the validation of a relationship and to be left to my solitude otherwise. Emotive unstable, you're like an unwinding cable car. Listening for voices, but it's the choices that make us who we are. Go your own way, even seasons have changed, just burn those new. So self-absorbed you seem to ignore the prayers that have already come I believed her when she said she believed there was a good man in me. I needed that belief because I couldn't forge it organically. Worst of all, I lied to myself, believing I could fake it long enough to recover. To make matters worse, my inability to either let the ghost go or let her go fueled her worst shadows that manifested in her need to control and manipulate. Becky, my ex from my days at Andrews, and I, did hold a unique bond and respect. We were weirdly tied by some quantum entanglement through time and space, anchored in our days where we were better people and honest to both ourselves and each other. She didn't message often, and neither did I, and it was never romance. 
When we split in 2007, it was because our lives were going in two different directions. It hurt, for sure. But the parting was an evolution of sorts, the way Obi-Wan became something else after Vader struck him down. There would always be a connection there, and not a romantic one, that would linger forever. Missy hated Becky. Hated. In truth, I think she hated me for Becky. But it was likely safer to project that ire onto a straw man whom she never saw, never met, and only spoke with long enough on the phone to tell her to never talk to me again. More than any scuzzy thing I did or said, nothing pulled the worst out of Missy more than the B-word. I wasn't even allowed to mention her name, like Voldemort, she who must not be named. I mean that literally. I pined for more, for better, for both of us, but you can't let go of pain if you keep it imprisoned. I was toxic. She was toxic. We both knew it, but we were both human. Backing away from the problem of pain you never had a home. You've been misguided, you're hiding in shadows for so very long. Don't you believe that you've been deceived, that you're no better than the hair in your eyes is never disguised what you really I weaseled through each lie to prevent tarnishing her belief in my goodness, not seeing the irony. Her image of me was the image I protected. I felt I needed just a little more time to rediscover a sense of that goodness waiting just around the corner, every corner, maybe the next one, for miles and miles of black highway that never actually turned. I was a jackpot junkie at the penny slots, banking on that next pull. But every pull marked another lie and piled on the debt of dishonor. It's called a sunk cost fallacy. Each lie was an investment in what I perceived was the future value of me and our relationship. But in truth, the accumulating lies made cutting those losses in favor of the truth more difficult. To make matters exponentially worse, the more I tried to protect that image the more controlling and manipulative she became. One fed the other to the point of gluttony. But Missy held a beautiful mirror. And I was ashamed of the reflection. He was vibrant, a smiling man with a charming chip of arrogance. He was the Superman of honor guards, a folder of flags. He was a warrior who overcame odds and adversity. He held no debt. He was brave and did not shy from the sword. He was better than me, but not me. He was guilt-free, and he was whole. I don't know the dissonant struggles that kept Missy there. I won't guess either. But I have to imagine, because hurt people hurt others that she too wrestled with her own demons in her own way. But there were places where demons could not tread, where they were never allowed, like a heavenly restraining order, and we were both free in those places in those times, namely, in the presence of horses. I watched her ride horses as much as possible. 
She shined in the saddle, so fluid and talented. I knew nothing of horses aside from four legs, hooves, and fancy hats at the Derby. Beyond that, I was a redneck in the Louvre commenting on Mona Lisa's cleavage. I went to watch her not just because Missy enjoyed having me there, but because she was the best. Greatness of any kind, Michael Jordan, the 1980 U.S. hockey team, Secretariat, the 101st at Bastogne, Taco Bell, they pluck my soul strings, and I can't help but listen to the music they play. When Missy legged up, the saddle became an unnecessary formality. One would swear she communed telepathically with the horse. Her commands were unperceivable and her movements so intuitive. She didn't ride over fences the way other riders seemed to. She jumped with the horse. Missy never was a passenger or even a rider. She drove. She commanded. Horses responded to her on the ground with an attic stupor. For a horse, any moment not carrying her was life outside the presence of God. Her talent, her greatness, I understood what her horses understood. Cheering her on made me free. I think it made her free too. Perhaps it was complacency setting in, but it seemed that despite the ugliness, life was tiptoeing in a happier direction. I felt the flood ebbing. I still wrestled with anger and spite, and the ghosts were always there. But the lashing outs became fewer and further between. I prayed for courage. I prayed for courage to trust in the truth. I wanted to trust that in coming to Oklahoma with me, her love was genuine. I prayed for courage before she ran out of reasons to stay or believe. I recorded an acoustic rendition of Name by Goo Goo Dolls as a gift for Missy. It was her favorite and always a cathartic song for me. Even the imperfections made it more perfect. She cried. I remembered the lavender dress and those first feelings she inspired, the ones so absolutely certain. She believed. Why couldn't I? Missy and I curled up on the couch watching a movie. In a quiet moment, she asked me, What do you want more than anything? I continued watching the movie and sat silent. Babe? To die with honor. She looked up at me, but I didn't return the glance. She looked back to the television. Isn't that a little hasty? Nothing else in the meantime? I smiled a little. <laughs> you said more than anything. And for me, that's it. Everything else kind of falls under that umbrella. It's impossible to call myself a man of honor before that time. People are messy and do messy things, even when doing their best. Once you lose it, it's nearly hopeless trying to get it back. So the best I can do is try to exist in a state of honor so that when that moment comes, 
People will say he died with it. Wouldn't that be considered living with honor? In the moment, or in any given moment, maybe. But what about the moments you don't? Time is just a flowing river of moments. One moment inevitably leads to the next, but you can never alter the previous. The saying goes, die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. So, if I navigate my moments well enough to die with it, that's my legacy. That's etched. That's permanent. And no one can take that away. Not even me. Yeah, but... Then that doesn't incentivize either never leaving the house or constantly racing death? Yeah. I guess I haven't worked that one out yet. She looked back up at me again, and then back to the television. Equine Farms, New Mexico, January 29th, 2010. Cece Miranda lay on her side, writhing in pain as the veterinarian struggled with the oncoming foal. In a final combination of pull and push, the blood-soaked baby fell into the straw. He was born of blood. A blood bay with one white sock and one small star. The doctor worked rapidly, pulling the foal free as a surge of winter air inflated the newborn's lungs. The colt wiggled into reality. Oxygen raced through bronchioles and into alveoli where it latched to red blood cells. The cells dashed away, racing, reaching, clawing, and pulsing through arteries toward their goal. An explosion rocked the foal's ribcage, repeating combustion with each fresh blast of oxygen. The foal's heart thundered. Cece Miranda, the sweet mare, leaned her head up to gaze upon her final miracle, her miracle to be. She lived forever in that infinite moment. Oxygen wafted out of her nostrils in a final sigh. Her colt breathed it in. It was done. She laid her head into the straw and stilled. Her long eyelashes tucked her loving brown eyes away. She was gone. But her nameless foal lived. And grew up way too fast. And now there's nothing to believe. And reruns all become our history. A tired song keeps playing on. A tired radio. And I won't tell no one your name And I 
I won't tell them your name. And I won't tell them your name. I asked Missy to come to Oklahoma knowing I would ask her to marry me. I don't know why she came. I don't. It felt like the one mutual bond between us was a shared fear of the unknown and losing the thing we had, regardless of whether it was good or bad, regardless of whether we were good or bad. I could have used any one of a thousand arguments for this episode, but I chose that one because it spotlighted us at our most fearful, respectively. And now we're grown-up orphans that never knew their names. Don't belong to no one. That's a shame. And then there was honor. This episode, we're featuring Hearts of Freedom Horsemanship in Toll House, California. This gorgeous getaway specializes in equine-assisted psychotherapy facilitated by licensed mental health professionals and equine specialists. What I like about this program is the serenity of it. While programs like Heroes and Horses in Montana emphasize recapturing purpose through struggle, Hearts of Freedom takes the alternate approach of stillness and peace. They are well-versed in both mental health and horsemanship and pair the two in an absolute quiet paradise of nature. Having walked many a variety of walks, I can tell you there is priceless value in being still and listening as a vector to healing and growth. This place employs that technique perfectly, and its pristine vistas in Central California should be prime real estate for you guys and gals on the West Coast. Stop by their website at www.heartsoffreedomhorsemanship.com. That's heartsoffreedomhorsemanship.com. I'm Tim Finley. This is To Live With Honor. Live fierce. This all ends. (laughs) 